All right, Allie. We are here for Revelation chapter 1. Are you ready? No. Come on. <laughs> Revelation 1 isn't even the bad part. This will be good. Okay. So. Yeah. As long as... Are there any plagues in this one? Any scary things going on in this chapter? Uh, well, in verse 7, all the kindreds of the earth are wailing. Is that scary? <laughs> Depends on which side you're on. So, um, (laughs) Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Do you want to read the first verse? Sure. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Okay, so the initial phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. could go either way grammatically in Greek, like this is the revelation that Jesus Christ is giving, or it could be just like just like it is in English, the revelation of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the revealing of Jesus Christ. The unveiling. And yeah, the unveiling, like we talked about. And uh, the Greek word for revelation, do you know what that is? Uh, is it apocalypse? Yeah, well, it's probably, that's where we get our word apocalypse. Oh. Um, but yeah, uh, so when we talk about apocalypse, usually people are referring to the end of the world, but it really just means a revelation or an unveiling or yeah. revealing. And so that is, I think, the key of chapter one is chapter one is introducing us to Jesus in this book. And so we see that uh, who is writing the book of Revelation, who's receiving this the, vision? John. It's John. John, and the disciple who Jesus loved. John, the one of the mm-hmm. 12. And there's definitely people who would dispute that. But um, that's what makes the most sense to me. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> and we see that John, when he's writing this book, is writing from where? The Isle of Patmos. Yes. And he tells us why he's there in verse 9. He says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the Isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, but why historically was he on the Isle of Patmos? So, and again, people will debate about when it was written, but from what I can see, it makes the most sense to me that it was written in in the 90s AD. This would have been during the reign of Domitian, most likely, who instituted some persecution against the church. And we know from tradition, there's like church tradition writings, early writings that we have, that John, they attempted to boil him in oil and he wasn't harmed. And so, but he ended up being exiled to Patmos, which was... uh, We can't kill you, we're just send you away. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to just get you out of here. And they would do that to early Christian leaders and things. And Patmos was an isle. It was like a prison convict island. Kind of what like Australia was. Yeah, it was the Australia (laughs) of Rome, I suppose. (laughs) And so, as Australia was to England, Patmos was to <laughs> the, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire, at least the ones in Ephesus. And we also know that John is writing this to who? To the churches which are in Asia. And how many specific ones? Seven. Seven, that's okay. right. But this isn't Asia like how we think of Asia, right? That's correct. This is Asia Minor. So, this is like modern day Turkey. So we're not talking China and Japan and stuff, but we're talking modern day Turkey. So if you have uh, your Bible with you as you're listening to this, you can flip to the, usually they have maps in the front or the back. And usually there's one that shows, uh, that'll show these seven churches. That'll show uh, like maybe Paul's journeys or something shows uh, Asia Minor. And so it's modern day Turkey. And what we 
can deduce from some things that we we see in other places is that um, John is said to have been like the bishop over Asia in the sense that he he was kind of the the go-to guy for the the churches in Asia and so we see that like Timothy was in Ephesus Paul left him in Ephesus and Ephesus was one of the churches John wrote to but when you look at the seven churches that John is writing Revelation to you see they they go in a circle along the like Roman mail route starting with Ephesus and Ephesus was like the the place where the emperor would go when he came to Asia Minor like that was his um it was like the capital for that province oh. uh then they it's called like the Neocorpus or something like that that's and, interesting to know like reading the book of Ephesus no. of Ephesians yeah Ephesians <laughs> yeah yeah written to Ephesus yeah 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 it is and uh, and looking at what it was like when Paul went there in the book of Acts also yeah. And so John writes, and you you can look on the map and you can see like that it goes in kind of a circle, um, mm-hmm. and that it would have been like a circular letter. And a lot of the New Testament books were read like this; they would they would be circular letters that were to all the different churches. So these are seven real cities in John's day. They are specific churches that John was writing to that had these issues. And yet the number seven, you'll see over and over again, the book of Revelation, and it's a really important number. So it's important that we address that in the first podcast, because John could have written this to any number of churches, and yet it's seven churches. And you'll see, even in verse four, it says, uh, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was, who is and was and is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And then as you keep reading, you'll see seven candlesticks in this chapter. You'll see seven stars. And uh, and so you'll see the phrase seven angels, seven churches. So what's so significant about the number seven? Okay, so I know seven means completion, but kind of just threw me off there you said there's seven spirits of god yeah so that is going to be the first (laughs) thing that we're gonna need to look at but i do want to address the seven the number seven because when you look at seven in the book of revelation it's not just a number there's something important going on and we'll see seven seals seven trumpets seven vials yeah that's one thing that i've heard about hebrew writing is that each letter in the Hebrew language also represents a number. And so like there's a Jewish thought that um, since God spoke the world into being that the Hebrew language is like the basis of like all creation or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So like even Hebrew words, the letters that that are used to make them up, there's meaning even in the letters which is super crazy, super detailed. So thinking about like seven in that context and how it means completion and like the first letter Aleph means God and it means one. So we see the oneness of God in the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that's just a quick side note. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we're not getting into Bible code stuff and trying to find hidden meanings and stuff because any any numbers that I'm going to talk about uh, as we go through this we can see through the rest of scripture why those numbers are being yeah. used. You know, there's uh, there's a significance and you can see as in patterns, you know, how God's using the number. And we, we know right from Genesis 1 that seven is a significant number mm-hmm. because why? God created the world in seven days, right? So Well, technically in six days, but the seventh day he used to rest. Touche. Well said. <laughs> yeah. So on the seventh day he rested. And so we see these six days of creation and on the seventh day he rests. So he 
completed his work on the seventh day. And the word for seven is spelled with the same letters as uh, to fill up or to complete or to fulfill. And so we see that concept of rest, of completion, of finishing, of 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 totality, right? Of fulfilling. Um, and that concept is it, throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see seven as the number of completion, like you said. And so the fact that he's writing to seven churches is, um, I don't think that was just arbitrarily chosen or that that just happened to be the number of churches that was on that mail route. But I think it's saying this is to the whole church. Mm-hmm. And I think those seven churches represent aspects of the entire church. And when Jesus says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches then we have to hear it from that perspective and say, yeah. uh, okay, so I'm part of the church and what about this church represents me? These seven churches, what is in there? And so, again, there's people who have a lot of different theories about the seven churches. There's a theory about the seven church ages. Um, there's some that say it was just for those seven churches in that day. And yet the fact that he says, whoever has an ear, let him yeah. hear what the Spirit says to the churches means that even as churches today or in uh, our personal lives Um, because I know for me that I've definitely had different times where I have needed the message to different churches because there's times when I'm lukewarm or there's times when I'm uh, leaving my first love and my pursuit of truth or whatever like all the different messages (laughs) meaning Jesus okay well you better not leave your second love either (laughs) okay So uh, the point being, <laughs> spiritually, we need this. Uh, we all need those different messages to those different churches. At different yeah, times. and I like that it says in verse three, "For the time is at hand." And the thing is, if someone read this, if one of these seven churches read it two thousand years ago, and they heard the time is at hand, and we're reading it now two thousand years later, and we're seeing the time is at hand. The time is always at hand to prepare yourself for the coming of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Because you good. never know what can happen in in a minute. You get one phone call. You get a text message. You get in a car accident. Like, life is short and super unpredictable. So the time is always at hand to be preparing yourself and for to be taking heed to these words that um, the revelation that was given to John. Yeah, that's a great point. That the time is at hand gives us an immediacy yeah. that everybody reading this book can take away mm-hmm. and say, okay, this is not just for some people far away and long ago, but this is for me. Yeah. And it's not just for people that are in the future or whatever. This is mm-hmm. for me. And and I've also heard um, heard it preached like God's closer to coming now than he's ever been. It's like, well, obviously, because we're like uh. <laughs> 2,000 years of the future and he still hasn't come back. Yeah. And But they really did have a perspective from the beginning that after Jesus died on the cross and rose again, something had fundamentally changed about mm-hmm. the age that we were living in. And there was, we're living in this uh, overlap of the kingdom of God. Jesus preaching was the kingdom of God is at hand, you know, and now as we're seeing this in Revelation, the time is at hand. Yeah. And uh, and I, I it makes me think of in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis played with this a little bit with his Aslan character. And uh, he tells Aslan tells one of the kids like I'll I'll be back soon or something like yeah. that. I can't remember exactly what he says, but they say when is soon Aslan, and he says uh, to me all times are soon, mm-hmm. and because I God is outside that. of time, and so we're looking at this from his his perspective, you know. Yeah, I always kind of like the way that I pictured God as outside of time 
is like the same way that we look at a timeline like in a textbook or mm. something. That God just has the timeline laid out in front of him and he just sees all the events as they're going to happen. And like we're we're at our little line in yeah. the timeline just living and he knows what's going to happen next and he knows what already happened. And this is really relevant to what we're talking about in Revelation because the way that uh, John identifies, so as he's beginning the letter, he mm-hmm. says, grace to you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. Yeah. And in verse 8, the Lord says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So that timelessness is yeah. really evident here. And I also think it's important to see this in light of what God said to Moses uh, in the burning bush when Moses says, what should I say? Who should I say mm-hmm. sent, sent me to the children of Israel? And he says, I am that I am. Yeah. And this, he is, he was, he is to come. He's the beginning and the ending, the yeah. alpha and omega, the aleph and the tau, the A to the Z. He so, is all in all times. And so this is, the, this is the I am that I am that's speaking. So how does that play in with the seven everything? Okay, so, well, first of all, depending on what the seven is referred to, it's just important to understand that a lot of times, if you if you see the number seven, the first thought should be, like, towards completeness, towards mm-hmm. uh, a totality of, of fullness. So we see that with the seven churches, and then we're also, you brought up the seven spirits, which are before yeah. his throne. And that's always, well, I don't know if that's the first thing, but for me, when, when I start reading through Revelation, that's, like, the first, like, weird thing that jumps out, like, what in the world yeah. is this? The seven spirits which are before us soon. And the reason that that's odd is because, well, you're wondering what the seven spirits are. Like, are these mm-hmm. angels, right? Which, yeah. that's, that's what some people believe in, like, the Book of Enoch and, like... Uh, in kind of second temple Jewish literature, there's these mm-hmm. seven archangels that are named, you know. Okay. And again, I think they're using the term seven to refer to these angels in representing the totality yeah. of the angels, you know, the fullness of the angels. But but John says these are the seven spirits which are before the throne of God and or before the throne of the one who is and was and is to come. And we see this several times throughout the next several chapters in the book. And so it's important to look at those other instances as well in order mm-hmm. to get a full picture. So we're going to tackle this now. And then when we see the seven spirits language after this, then we'll be able to understand as we get to it. Okay. But also, it's not that John is just pulling this out of nowhere. Because again, we're going to look at some things from the Old Testament, like we talked about right. in our intro podcast. And if you know the scriptures really well, then there's going to be certain aspects of this that are mm-hmm. going to start... Um, ringing bells, okay? So, we see this in verse 4, from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and then we see uh, something about the seven spirits of God again in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. And so, Allie, do you want to read Revelation 3, 1? Sure. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Okay, wait, just stop there. We're just going to do uh, 3-1-A, the first part of <laughs> chapter 3, verse 1. Um, so Jesus identifies himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Okay, so this is Jesus speaking, and he says, um, this is what the one who says who has the seven spirits of God. We see the phrase pop up again in Revelation chapter 4, and this is when John is in, uh, he's called up into heaven, and he's seeing the throne, and he sees for the throne, just like uh, verse uh, 4 of chapter 1 was referencing, in chapter 4, verse 5, 
Um, there's another reference to the seven spirits of God. You want to read that one? Sure. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so we see seven lamps of fire before the throne, and it identifies those lights as Mm -hmm. the seven spirits of God. And then there's one more reference here in chapter 5, and this is when John is seeing a vision of a lamb. And look at how the lamb is described. Go ahead and read chapter 5, verse 6. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Okay. So, this is some weird stuff, but... So, how can there be seven spirits of God? If we believe that there is one God, God, there's not a separation of three, even if you believe in the oneness of god versus the trinity like even trinitarians will probably have a hard time explaining okay we believe there's three but wait why is there seven (laughs) yeah yeah and again some people will just say oh well it's just seven other spirits not the spirit of god but it's Mm -hmm. identifying it as the spirits of god we see that jesus is has the seven spirits of god whatever that means we see that the lamb has seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent forth into all the earth and we also see these lamps of fire. So it's connected with these the lamps of fire. It's connected with eyes in the lamb, which go that into all the so earth. so freaky. Yeah. And it's connected with, the, this is what Jesus has. And so when we put all of those things together, we, we still may not have um, an understanding, but we can establish some things from other places in scripture. Like you're saying, we know that God, has, there's one spirit because yeah. Ephesians 4, 4 says there's one body and one spirit, mm-hmm. even as you were called in one hope of your calling. So we know that there's one spirit. And again, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says, for by one spirit, have you all been baptized into one body? Yeah. Um, and so we know that there's one spirit of God. So mm-hmm. what is this idea about the seven? And again, when we look at this, the number seven, we're looking at fullness. We're looking at totality. So we're laying all these uh, pieces on the table. But what we need to do now is go back into the Old Testament and see um, where the same kind of language is used. So are you ready for this? Let's go. Okay. So if you go back into the Old Testament and where we're going to go is in the book of Zechariah, which is... Another book that has similar language to uh, Revelation, and it is another one of those books that's very odd. And it's there's a lot of like interesting visions and symbols and stuff. And so um, I've said for a long time that Zechariah was like my my uh, least strong area of study <laughs> in Scripture because uh, I would read Zechariah. I'm like I have no idea. Yeah. But because I've been studying Revelation, I've actually been reading more of Zechariah, and I'm feeling like I'm getting a, a better understanding of it. So that's really cool. Yeah, and that's that's why that's one of the benefits of studying Revelation. But in Zechariah chapter three, uh, Zechariah has a vision, and uh, I'm not going to get into all the details of the vision in chapter three, although it's very cool. But we're going to look at a weird part right at the end. <laughs> And uh, this is in reference to the high priest of the time, whose name was Joshua. And there's a prophecy saying, and it's directed to Joshua, and this is at the end of Zechariah chapter 3, it's verse 8. And it says, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And <laughs> if you know um, some things about prophecy from Isaiah and Jeremiah, who is the branch referring to? Jesus. It is referring to Jesus. It's it's a prophecy of the Messiah. We can look at that in Isaiah 11. Is kind of the root, pun intended, of, <laughs> uh, of the branch language. So he says, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. Mm-hmm. 
But then he says something weird. Uh, would you read verse 9, Allie? For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Okay, so already we should be remembering, back to Revelation, the seven spirits of God were compared to seven eyes in the lamb, right? The lamb had seven eyes. So seven eyes is like when we see the lamb with seven eyes, if, you, if you've already been reading the scriptures, that's not the first time you've seen that. You, if you remember Zechariah, you see a stone with seven eyes. Okay. It's kind of funny that, like, as I read that, I got the mental image of, like, this rock and a little kid, like, just gluing a bunch of googly eyes. All the eyes googly eyes on, on it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of this is very odd. <laughs> uh, we so, like the odd stuff. Yes, yes. So we see a stone with seven eyes in Zechariah 3, and it's in the context of this prophecy about the branch coming, right? And he says, I'm going to lay before Joshua a stone that has seven eyes. And also important to know about Zechariah is Zechariah was a prophet during the time when Israel was coming back from their exile and they needed to rebuild the temple and the people had stopped building the temple. But Zechariah and Haggai are prophets that show up and say, hey, you guys need to start building mm. the temple again. And Zechariah deals a lot with the high priest Joshua and the leader of the people, Zerubbabel, which is a fun name to say, Zerubbabel. <laughs> And so uh, he says, I'm laying before Joshua, the high priest, a stone that has seven eyes. Okay, so this is significant. Uh, the, the stone language is significant because mm-hmm. of the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, go ahead. Keep reading. Verse 10. Well, just the rest of verse uh, 9. Oh. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Okay, and that phrase, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Can we think of a time that that prophecy could have been fulfilled when the iniquity of the land was removed in one day. Oh, um, when Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I think that's a great candidate for the fulfillment of that prophecy. Um, And so we have this... We, the branch language, very clearly about Jesus. Jesus is also called the chief cornerstone, right? Yeah. So we're seeing some allusions there. Uh, and we see the iniquity of the land being removed in one day, but then we have this weird thing about the stone having seven eyes, okay? So that's the end. Well, and then he says, in that day, uh, every man will call his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree, which was a way of describing you're going to have peace. You're going to be in your land. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's some cool things about that too, but that's for different Bible studies. <laughs> And so then, uh, so that's the end of that chapter. And then there's another vision in chapter four and the angel that talks with Zachariah comes and wakes him up and he says, what do you see? And Zachariah says, I looked and I saw a candlestick, all of gold, and it had seven lamps. And that should give us a remembrance of something about the seven spirits of God. Because remember the seven spirits of God were compared to seven lamps of fire. And isn't that also... Like, that's supposed to be a menorah? Yeah, 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 exactly. When Zacharias sees this, this isn't a strange image to the Jewish Mm -hmm. culture, because from the time of Moses, God told Moses to make uh, everything in the tabernacle after the pattern he saw on the mountain. And one of the things that God tells him to make is a a candlestick with seven Mm -hmm. lamps, seven, so a, a menorah, right? And in the tabernacle, that represents the spirit of God. Yes, yeah. And so this is going to be a really crucial image. And um, if you've read ahead, I don't think we've talked about it yet as we've been recording, but as you read ahead in Revelation 1, you see Jesus standing in the midst of seven candlesticks. And so this is a crucial image. And what's interesting about the candlestick is that uh, we'll go ahead and read um, read chapter 4, verse 2 of Zechariah, because they, we have a little description. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it. 
and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. Okay, so how many candlesticks are there? There's one candlestick. Yes. But seven branches. But seven branches, right? And what? And so we know from the book of Exodus when God describes to Moses how he needs to make the candlestick, it's supposed to be made of one beaten work, mm-hmm. the Bible says. And so the idea is that if you pour oil in, then it's going to go through the entire candlestick. So it's the yeah. same oil flowing through the entire candlestick. So it's one candlestick, but there's going to be seven flames. There's going to be seven branches, mm-hmm. right? But it's supposed to be all one work, and it's the same oil that flows through the entire thing. And so... Then uh, and then and then in this vision, there's also two olive trees on either side of the the bowl on the candlestick. And so Zachariah says, "What are these, my lord?" And the angel's like, "You don't know what this is." And he's <laughs> like, "No, I do not." <laughs> and I uh, just love how condescending that angel is. And uh, he's the angel answers and says, "This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit,' saith the Lord of hosts." Duh. Yeah, Isn't that what on. you got when you saw the candlesticks here in this chapter? No, what was funny is that <laughs> the first time we read through this, I was thinking like, well, maybe the trees mean this, this, and this. And then they literally explained <laughs> what the trees mean Yeah. <laughs> in the next verse. Yes. It's always nice when there's an explanation because it keeps <laughs> us on track. Yeah. Always keep reading. Yes. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so, but it's very interesting that the angel's response about what these, so we have two olive trees, we have the candlestick with the seven, uh, pipes going out of it and the seven lamps on it. And the answer for what these is, is it's not by might, not by power, but by Mm -hmm. my spirit. And it's the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel was like the governor, the leader of the people. And remember the whole goal of this is that that Zachariah and Haggai are trying to encourage the people to build the temple. And so he says, but how are you going to do it, Zachariah? Or how are you going to do it, Zerubbabel? Not by just likes saying Zerubbabel. I do, I do. <laughs> Not by might, nor by power. Yeah, if you're listening to this, just go ahead and say it a couple times. It's Zerubbabel. Good. Zerubbabel. 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 It's fun. And so, uh, do you want to name our child that, our first no. child? Aw. That's his running joke. Every weird name in the Bible, he wants to name our kids. Zerubbabel is so, a great name. When we finally have children, he will not be in charge of that. <laughs> so, the not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So, why is the spirit of the Lord connected to the candlestick? Well, we talked about that a minute ago, because <laughs> in the tabernacle, the spirit um, was represented by the candlestick. But on the day of Pentecost, whenever they all started speaking in tongues, there was cloven tongues as a fire that sat oh, upon each of their heads. Oh, very good callback. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I wasn't even thinking along those lines, but that's oh. awesome. But yeah, we see oil, that's the anointing, right? Mm-hmm. Oil is, and and a lot of times in scripture, oil, there's a reference to the spirit with yeah. the oil. And so remember, and and maybe we've gotten off track or maybe, maybe we've lost you already and you're like, I thought we were talking about the seven spirits of God. What is all this stuff in Zechariah? <laughs> but we're talking about the seven spirits of God and... In Revelation, we saw the seven spirits of God represented as seven lamps before the mm-hmm. throne of God. We saw the seven spirits of God represented as seven eyes in the Lamb. And we also saw this description that the seven spirits of God go forth into all the earth. Now we go back to Zechariah and we see a stone with seven eyes. And then yeah. we see a candlestick with seven lamps of fire, right? And the answer to what this is representing is... It's not by my, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. And so if the oil in the candlestick is represented by 
or the, the spirits represented by the oil, mm-hmm. then this is a powerful image because it's supposed to be the same oil, the same spirit running through. You could say how many... So again, how many candlesticks are there? There's one candlestick, but there's yeah. seven lamps, right? Um, so so the, the candlestick itself is a great image of what where yeah. we're going with So this. like seven rolls. Yeah, yeah, seven seven different ways that it's manifested, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, then then he goes on. He says, "Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth." And I'm sure Zerubbabel's looking at Jerusalem, the pile of rubble, and the Mount Zion, and the, just all the rubble on the temple, and he's just overwhelmed. And he says, "You know what, though, this great mountain." Who are you? Mm-hmm. You're going to become a plane before Zerubbabel. Why? Not because Zerubbabel's so mighty or so powerful, but because the spirit of the Lord is going to be there helping him. And it says, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. And so again, we see something about a stone, right? There's yeah. this building imagery. And so before the high priest, we saw a stone with seven eyes. Um, and now we're seeing a headstone. So like the completion mm. stone, the last stone that's going to be placed. The... Which is kind of ironic because you put a headstone on a grave, which is... No, <laughs> different kind of headstone. Where... That's, that's where hilarious. I went. <laughs> no, that, you are going the, the wrong place. The final rock that you uh, Here, get. let me look at a different version. Uh, ESV says, you shall bring forward the top stone. <laughs> We're going to call it the top stone. Okay. Yeah, by the way, um, most of the time, whenever we're going to be reading scripture, it's going to be out of the King James Version. Yes. Yeah. Good point. And so then the word of the Lord comes and says, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands shall also finish it because he's going to bring the top stone. <laughs> and uh, so he's not going to die and get his own headstone before he lays the headstone of the temple. So this is a good, because I'm sure Zerubbabel's like, I don't know if I'll ever finish this during my lifetime. And Actually, I'll have you finish reading uh, verse 10, um, because this is where we see a another reference to the seven. So Zechariah 4.10? Yes, Zechariah 4.10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. And a plummet was a, a way of like making sure that the stones are straight. It's like a oh, plumb okay. line. It's the it's it's like used for building. Yeah, but a level for a wall to make sure that it's straight. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Okay. Oh. With so, so he says, they shall rejoice. Uh, who who has despised the day of small things? Like, uh, yes, it's starting out small, but who has despised? And, and I know we don't have a lot of might. I know we don't have a lot of power. But guess what? The spirit of the Lord is yeah. what's going to accomplish this project. Mm-hmm. And who has despised the day of small things? You think that this is nothing? Well, guess what? You're going to rejoice. Those who despise the day of small things are going to rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. They'll see Zerubbabel with the plumb line, right? Finishing the temple, finishing the wall. And and you know what else they're going to see with Zechariah? Not just the, or not, sorry, Zechariah, but Zerubbabel, my favorite name here. <laughs> um, but they're two Z names, so that makes it hard. But what are they going to see with Zerubbabel along with the plummet? They're going to see him with those seven. Mm. Well, what seven? What, what seven are you talking about? Well, the whole vision started with these seven pipes to the seven lamps, right? Yeah. Of the one candlestick. So those seven lights, those seven lamps are going to be there. And he says, these seven are the eyes of the Lord, right? Mm. Well, remember, we saw a stone that had, seven eyes. that had seven eyes. And now we see those seven lamps are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro 
through the whole earth. And remember, that's the exact phrase we saw that the lamb had seven eyes, Mm -hmm. which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Uh, So that's interesting, too, because this is talking about Yahweh. And then John, when he's describing the lamb, uses the exact same phrase to talk about the lamb, right? And so when John is using this phraseology in Revelation, he's not just making it up. This is stuff that's being pulled from Zechariah. Yeah, well, so you said in the intro that um, the Bible uses a lot of symbolism Mm -hmm. to like help us uncover the truth behind it. So what is the truth behind these seven eyes? Yeah. Well, what are eyes for? They're for seeing. Yeah. Eyes are for seeing. And so um, two eyes are pretty good, right? And you can see a lot with two eyes. But you know what you could see even more with is <laughs> seven, seven eyes. eyes, right? If you have seven eyes, and one of those eyes are able to go through the whole earth, right? So yeah. when, when you think of the concept, if, if you're thinking like a Hebrew, so we might say the way we talk as Westerners is like, um, God is all-knowing, or mm-hmm. God is omniscient, or he's all-seeing, you know? Okay. But the seven eyes here, we see when, when if you're thinking like a Easterner, right? If you're thinking like a Hebrew and you already know that seven means complete or total or fullness, Mm -hmm. you look at the seven eyes of the Lord and it's like, oh, of course he has seven eyes. It's another way of saying he sees everything, right? These eyes run through the whole earth. These eyes see it all, right? He's all knowing. He's all seeing. That makes me think about how they always joke that moments have eyes in the back of their head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, God has eyes encircling his whole head. Yes, yeah. So moms have like, and yeah, so four eyes is good. It's not an insult. (laughs) And seven eyes is even better. And these eyes run to and fro throughout Mm -hmm. the whole earth. So he's able to see everything that's going on in the world. And so that stone that had seven eyes, complete vision, right? That's awesome. These seven lamps, right, of fire. And so we see fire, eyes, um, seeing. We see all of those things that are all representing. um, And the the candlestick is the context of this whole vision. And then the, the vision goes on to talk about uh, the olive trees, but we are not going to talk about that right now because uh, we're going to talk about that another time. Great. So, so yeah, go ahead. are we going back to Revelation? Okay, yes. <laughs> so now we're going back to Revelation. And uh, no, actually, we're not because <laughs> most of this podcast will probably not actually be spent in Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to all kinds of places. I actually want to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. I actually referenced it a little bit ago when we were talking about the branch. And um, this is, again, a prophecy of the Messiah. And you'll see some language from Isaiah 11 being used in a couple different places in Revelation. Um, But one, uh, there's something interesting. Because if we think about the seven spirits of God the way we were thinking about the seven eyes or the seven Mm -hmm. flames of fire, right? If if this is actually talking about the Lord and the the totality of his spirit, every aspect of his spirit, the the fullness of the spirit. So when Jesus says he has the spirit, the seven spirits of God, Mm -hmm. um, one way you could look at that is in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He has the whole... All of the spirits. Is there only one spirit? Yes. But there's only one candlestick. Yeah. And yet, the there's he seven. has every aspect of the spirit. Right? Yeah. There's seven, like, operating systems. Yeah. And, yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far, actually. <laughs> but but we see in Isaiah 11 this prophecy about the Messiah. And we see something of, like, that I would call the sevenfold spirit that he's supposed to have. So so in Isaiah 11, 1, is, go ahead and read Isaiah 11, 1. Isaiah 11, 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So remember, there's that branch. It's coming out of the stem mm-hmm. of Jesse. So this is coming from the line of David, right? Yeah, and here, branch is capitalized. Yes, yeah. 
And sometimes you'll see branch and the whole word is capitalized. All, yeah. All the letters. That's how it so. was in Zechariah. Oh, okay, yeah. And in Jeremiah, you see the same thing. Uh, that's a choice the translators are making to really emphasize. Yeah. <laughs> that this is the branch. And interestingly enough, this is this is just for free. This is a freebie. But <laughs> Jesus is from Nazareth, right? Yeah. And um, in Matthew, when he tells us that Jesus is from Nazareth, says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Um, but what's weird is that phrase isn't anywhere in the prophets. He shall yeah. be called a Nazarene isn't in there. And some people think it's talking about Nazarite, but that's a different thing. It's talking, Nazarene is somebody from Nazareth, and Nazarite mm-hmm. is somebody who has that vow. Yeah. Um, and so Jesus didn't have a Nazarite vow, and that's pretty clear. Why, so why does it say he shall be called a Nazarene? Why is Matthew saying that was a prophecy that needed to be fulfilled? Um, and Nazareth didn't even exist until a couple hundred years before Jesus, so not in the last prophet Malachi was 400 years before Jesus. So how would they have even made reference to Nazareth? Um, And yet the root word for Nazareth, those three letters in Hebrew um, form the same as for the word branch. So Jesus is from branch town. He's called a Nazarene. (laughs) He's, he is the branch, but so that one was for free, but uh, so go ahead and read verse two. So what about this branch that's going to come from the line of David? And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay. And here we see something interesting because, and I know you already know because we went through it before, but (laughs) how many, if you were going to count up all the different attributes of the spirit that's going to rest on him, guess how many there are? Is it seven? It is seven. So the spirit of the Lord, that's one, and that's the spirit of capital L-O-R-D, so the spirit mm-hmm. of Yahweh will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, that's two, and understanding, three. The spirit of counsel, four, and might, five. The spirit of knowledge, six, and of the fear of the Lord, seven. So they count the spirit of the Lord as separate from the spirit of wisdom and knowledge? And all well, that? actually, like reading it, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. What does the spirit of the Lord look like? Well, it's the spirit of wisdom oh, and understanding. Oh, you know what? Thinking about that from, like, the menorah standpoint, mm-hmm. the spirit of the Lord being that center one Good, yeah. that they pour the oil into. And yeah. all the, the, the other six, six all yeah. branches. Good. That yes. makes more sense. Yes. And I think it's all, even though there's a sevenfold, it's all one spirit. Yeah. Right? It's all the spirit of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you could also talk about the seven spirits that are going to be on the Messiah, mm-hmm. right? And yet, it's all one spirit. Yeah. And so... I think that we get tripped up because we want to be so, like, concrete with, like, mm-hmm. well, okay, the seven or what? You know, but it's, if we think of seven the way that we see it all throughout scripture of this completeness, this mm-hmm. totality, this fulfillness, this, you know, if seven is fulfill, if it's filled up, right, yeah. Jesus has the seven spirits of God. The lamb has those seven eyes of the Lord that go mm-hmm. through all the earth, which are the seven spirits of God, the, the seven flames of fire, right? Yeah. That image of the candlestick. And so I, I really think that that's what it's talking about when we see the seven spirits of God is it's talking about the fullness of the Godhead. That's cool. Yeah. So, that. okay. So that was to tackle that kind of a weird part where he talks about the seven spirits of God. The other thing is that when he's talking about who the letter is from, and I, I mentioned that people say it's, you know, that maybe the seven spirits of God are seven angels or whatever, but that's a little tough because he says it's from the one who is and was and is to come from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the, the faithful and true witness. And I think all of those things are just building on describing God in different yeah. ways. And and so this is from God. 
It's from Jesus. It's from the seven spirits. Mm-hmm. It's from the faithful witness. It's from the one who is and wasn't is to yeah. come. It's it's just describing different ways of God. And so it's just, yeah. but it's using a different way of thinking than we normally think. And the way that God describes himself initially is I am that I am. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so like you can fit anything in there and he is. And so that's why there's so many descriptions of him because yeah. you, you can't summarize God. Right, right. In simple words because he's so much. Right, exactly. He's everything. Yes. All right, should we should we call it there? I think that's a good stopping place. <laughs> yeah. And we needed to take that little detour to talk about the seven spirits of God because that's such a that's like the weird mm-hmm. part that everybody's wondering about when we first start. But um, what we'll see through the rest of chapter one is the continual revealing of who Jesus yeah. is. And so as we go through that, and we're and we're not done talking about candlesticks because we're going to see Jesus in the midst of seven candlesticks. And he tells us that the candlesticks that he sees that Jesus is in the midst of are the seven churches. And so you're like, oh, no, Michael, we're, <laughs> we're throwing another thing in there. And yet another it's... Another curveball. Yeah. And yet it's the same image because by one spirit... Are we all baptized into one body? Yeah. And yet we have all these different churches, and yet the the seven spirits of God can be in the seven churches. It is the mm-hmm. same God. You know what I mean? Like, That's true. It's just like the candlestick uh, can represent the seven spirits of God. That candlestick can also represent the church because it's supposed to be one body with the same spirit flowing through the whole body. Mm-hmm. And if the spirit is, if it's not the same spirit flowing, then you're not part of the church right it's designed to represent these things in in a deep and powerful way yeah i was trying to explain to um to a kid one time about how god can be everywhere at once and i was like you know how whenever we go to church and we're praising and how you can feel the spirit of god he's like yeah yeah um and i was like well is god only here and they were like well god's also up in heaven right um And I was like, well, he is, but he's also at other churches that are praising him. Mm -hmm. God's there too. God's not just confined to one place. Like every time we praise God, it says God inhabits the praises of his people. And so all of these churches, whenever they're praising God, like it's the same spirit there. Yeah. So learning about God in this deeper way and this bigger way, like really understanding this revelation this unveiling of who god is mm. is so powerful and so important yeah and it, and it teaches us something by because you could say well john why didn't you just say you know the spirit of god and we would have got yeah. it it wouldn't have been weird and yet by looking at it in this way thinking about the candlestick thinking about the seven eyes thinking about all that stuff mm-hmm. it helps it forces us to think in a different way than we my automatically thing. Yeah. And we, we uncover some really powerful truths by mm-hmm. thinking through this. That's one thing that we're going to be doing so much in this podcast is looking at other parts of the scripture, other parts of the Bible that like where there's scriptures that's going to interpret what we're reading right now yes. in Revelation. I'm yes. Tripping over my words. But but basically to say like don't get discouraged or a little confused whenever we're like we spent most of this podcast not even in the book of Revelation. Not Yeah, not even in the book of Revelation, but it's because we're trying to understand the book of Revelation in a way that may not have been taught to you before. 
Because yeah. most of the time, whenever it's taught, like we said before, it's, well, this means this, and Russia's the bear, and the, yeah. the U.S. <laughs> is the eagle, and, and whatever else. But here, trying to understand it in the context of the Bible is, is something that most people don't do. And so that's what we're going to try to do ourselves. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, like she said, if it's a little overwhelming right now, <laughs> I, I get it because we just went into some books that we don't typically study to <laughs> no. talk about some weird stuff. Um, and yeah, that's the way that Revelation is written. It's very dense and it's packed full of truth. And we'll, we'll keep practicing this skill of looking at the other places yeah. in scripture to interpret what we're seeing here. And because Revelation is a culmination of the Bible, right. we are going to be doing a culmination of the Bible. Yes, yes. You didn't realize when you started listening that this was a podcast for the entire Bible. <laughs> I'm believing that we will reference every book of the scripture by the time we finish. Probably. That's, that's my goal. <laughs> so, okay. Well, let's wrap it up right there. And then we will uh, be talking quite a bit about Daniel chapter 7 um, as we go through talking about who Jesus is. In the, the next part, we're going to see how uh, these descriptions of Jesus and because of who Jesus is, who we're supposed to be. And uh, there's some really cool things that we see in chapter one. So we'll, we'll call it there. And uh, I pray the seven spirits of God are with you. <laughs> <laughs>